Thank you for listening to this audio recording produced by Truth Point Church in West Palm Beach. We exist to point people to the truth of the gospel. Good to be with you this morning again. I'm Ronnie Perry, uh, planter and pastor of New Song Church, planted out of here a couple years ago, and it's good to be with you again. I want to thank Pastor Clint and everyone for having me to be here. Um, and before we get started with our sermon, I'll give a quick update, and um, then we'll get in. I know it's, everybody's recovering post-Christmas, so I won't keep you all long. Now, sermon length could be relative, so you'll just have to figure out what I mean by that by the end of the sermon. But now, nah, um, be praying for us at New Song. We've been meeting online. We've been meeting via Zoom uh, for most of the pandemic. Uh, this, this month during Advent, we've actually worshiped with Lake Osborne. Presbyterian Church um, through Advent, and so um, we've been with Pastor Adam, and we have been going through Luke for Advent with Lake Osborne, and so um, I I thought it fitting to come to Luke today, but um, as you pray for us, uh, pray that we're able to find somewhere to worship soon. We've been at Northborough Elementary. We we do not know when the public schools would uh, be open again uh, to lease space, but in a couple weeks, I actually talked with the Riviera Beach Marina um, about meeting there on, on, on Sundays. That's uh, kind of right just uh, north of the Port of Palm Beach, um, where that Rybovich, one of the Rybovich locations are. So be praying for that. Uh, I think Christ Fellowship has a Monday night service there. And so hopefully um, we'll be able to return to physical worship soon. Uh, praying for all of y'all during this time of pandemic, the pandemic, praying for y'all with, as y'all continue to search for a new pastor. So, so uh, it's just great to be here to see some old faces again and to be with you online. And um, now, without any further ado, we'll turn our attention to the Word of God. And today we're coming from uh, the Luke, Gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. Luke 4, 14 through 40, and our title is Good News to the Poor. I'm going to read our text, and then uh, after I read our text, I'll pray and we'll get in. And um, just for the sake of time, I'm also, after we read our main text, go to Luke 7, 18 to 23, just so you can see that connection. But now Luke 4, beginning at verse 14, hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, And I quote, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? 
And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. We have heard you what you did at Capernaum. Now do it here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came all over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all the synagogues were all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they can throw him down to the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And in Luke chapter 7, verses 18 to 23, just to show this connection, um, Luke 7, beginning at 18, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one to come, or do we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and of plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended by me. Good news to the poor. Will you bow your heads for a word of prayer for me, with me? Father God, we do thank you now that you speak through your word. And we say now speak, for we your servants. Listen, we need to hear from you. The entrance of your word brings light. Enlighten us through the word. Make our hearts good soil. We confess our sins. We confess our worries and the hardness of heart. And we ask now that your word would go into our hearts, that it would speak into the deepest places of who we are, and it would bear fruit of righteousness, of faith, and obedience for your glory. Amen. Amen. And so as we, we, we come out of Christmas, this, this, this first Sunday, and, and we spent time thinking about Jesus. You know, we, we talked about baby Jesus. I think about Talladega Nights all the time because Ricky Bobby said he likes sweet little baby Jesus, right? Little six-pound, nine-ounces baby Jesus. But as we think of, of Jesus, of God coming to, to dwell among us in, in human flesh uh, during Advent, and we, we, we celebrate his first coming, and we, we rejoice and hope in the fact that he's He's coming back again. We need to be reminded of why he came. What was his purpose in coming? And what was his mission in, in, in even uh, a visiting earth in the first place? And I think this text is, is so key for us to understand this. And we need to be mindful of this because we gain our identity from who Christ is. And so if we want to understand who we are as the people of God better, we must understand who Jesus was and what was his mission. So as we look at this text, we're going to look at just three questions we have. Our first question to be, what did Jesus come to do? 
and that's going to be primarily in verses 14 through 19, but there's overlap. Secondly, uh, who did Jesus come to reach? Verses 18 and 19 and 23 through 27. And then thirdly, how do we spread the gospel as good news? One, who did Jesus, what did Jesus come to do? Two, who did Jesus come to reach? Three, how do we spread the good news? Beginning at one, what did Jesus come to do? And Jesus comes here today, and as we come to our text, we we see these transition verses of verses 14 and 15, and it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Well, how did he, how was he empowered? What was this empowerment that, that happened to Jesus when he came? If you know anything, previously in Luke 4, Jesus was tempted by the devil. Remember that? And he said, turn uh, these stones into bread. And if I had Jesus' power, I probably would have showed off. You know, I'm from the hood, so I would have been like, forget bread. I'm going to turn these into honey buns. Y'all know those big dandy honey buns? But, 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 but he, he, he overcomes the temptation uh, in the will of, of Satan in the wilderness, and, and he's empowered through that overcoming. And as he, he overcomes in Galilee, he does great ministry, and Jesus becomes a celebrity. He's popular. He's famous. People speaking well of him. They said they've never seen an authority like this before. But then he comes to Nazareth, his hometown. And as we remember and as we, we, we think on the birth of Christ, remember, Jesus came from the hood. If this was West Palm, Jesus came from Tamarind. Remember, they said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And when you have been downcast for long, hope is sometimes hard to find. And so Jesus comes back home after successful ministry in Galilee. And, and, and as we come to, to, to verse uh, uh, 16, he, he, he comes to Nazareth. And, and as his custom, he, went, he goes into the synagogue. And we know Paul would follow the same pattern in his ministry later. And Jesus comes to the synagogue. And the tradition of syn- in the synagogue is that someone would, would read the scripture. And then they would read the scripture and expound on it. And so he opens the scroll of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is a very long book. So imagine the time it took to go from verse 1 to Isaiah 61, which Jesus quotes. And when he gets to 61, he reads it. Now, one thing that happened in the synagogue that's different from us is that the teacher would sit down and everyone would remain standing for the word. You know, we stand up for the reading of the word, but they stand up the whole Duration. So one thing I'm going to encourage, true point, if y'all want to be more biblical next time, I'll sit down and y'all stand up. Okay? <laughs> I had to mess with y'all. But, but, but he reads Isaiah 61, and he says this, the, the, and he quotes it. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. What did Jesus came to do? First, very simply, he came to fulfill prophecy. Imagine reading this great promise of a Messiah who would bring this salvation, who would bring this restoration to Israel, and, 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 and to read these great words, and then Jesus is like, I am him. That's pretty audacious, isn't it? Jesus says, I am the king. I am the one who came and who was anointed by God to bring salvation to captive Israel. Israel at this time under Roman oppression. Israel at this time for 400 years had not had a prophet to proclaim the word of God. He's saying now 
is over because I am beginning my public ministry. And how many of you know Jesus has unique and special authority to proclaim? Sometimes we think the preaching of the gospel is vain or is foolish. Sometimes we get embarrassed because as Christians we don't want to seem non-intellectual when proclaiming the gospel. But God speaking is the greatest thing God does because when God speaks, he creates. Right? God spoke and creation came into existence. God, it says God sent his word and he healed them. And so God tends to move and act and God does the, the supernatural through his word. And so we have to remember today that now this is God returning to the temple. Proclaiming the word of God. And when God speaks and as Jesus has the unique authority to speak as God the son Something special is going on here. And he says, first, is good news to the poor. Jesus came primarily to preach, to proclaim. And when he proclaims, we know who those who are favored by God, those who are blessed by God, are the ones who are shaped by God's words to the extent that they respond in faith. And what is faith? Not just to believe in the existence of God, because the demons have seen God and believe in the existence. Faith is to know Jesus for who he is and see the one who saved me and to believe that I have an identity change because I've heard the word of God. God has revealed himself to me through his word, and I believe that Jesus is the one who come to bring salvation, who came to bring deliverance. Jesus came to proclaim that God has returned. You see this theme, I said there's no prophet in Israel for 400 years. This theme in all the gospels that you got to hear and see here is that, that the people of God are under oppression. They're under captivity and there's been an exodus. God has departed from the people in a sense because of their rebellion and they're in captivity as, Egypt, as Israel was in Egypt. In fact, uh, Israel was in Egypt for about 430 years, and God had not sent a prophet in about 400 years. You see the correlation? And Jesus here is proclaiming now that God has arrived. He's back on the scene. He has entered his temple, and he's proclaiming to his people that now is the time for you to rise up and be who I called you to be. That theme of Exodus runs deep, and he's saying, no longer are y'all in exile from God if you believe in me, but through me, through believing in me, trusting in me, exile has ended, and deliverance and liberation has come. Are y'all following me? Salvation, deliverance has come because Jesus has come in the flesh, and now he is beginning his public Ministry, and he speaks with the very authority of God. Jesus came to preach, and we should be proclaiming the fact that God has come, that God exists, that he has spoken, and God is at work even now in the midst of all of the calamity in our society, in the midst of the pandemic. God is still in the midst of his people. In the midst of the result of the presidential election, regardless of how you feel, guess what? God is still on the throne. Regardless of how you feel about the election. I know that probably made a lot of Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners 
exciting, to say the least, right? Or, or, or you just say, we just won't talk about politics. But God has come. Through how we talk, through how we live, reflect the fact that God is here and God has spoken and is speaking. And I think one way we know we don't really believe or live according to the knowledge that God has come. Salvation, deliverance is accessible and available as one. We are scared to share our faith. Evangelism. We are scared to share our faith. When is the last time we've seen an adult who never believed baptized? I'm ordained in the PCA, and I'm not talking about the Reformed conversion. I know there's the Reformed second blessing, I call it. It's that I, I grew up in church, but I didn't understand the gospel, and then I, under, I became Reformed and understood I was a sinner. I'm talking about people who were enslaved to darkness for the first time, professed faith in Jesus. We really don't see that happen as much because we have neglected the ministry of the word outside the four walls of the church. Y'all hear me? We could argue about politics and theology all day, but the ministry of the word to proclaim that salvation, deliverance, hope, it is not just an abstract ideal. It is a person, and he is here, and he is at work in me and in you. We don't proclaim that. That's one of the biggest things in in, in our churches, and I'm guilty too, is that we've lost fact that Jesus came to proclaim something real, Intangible. And the second way we don't see that, not only are we lacking in evangelism, most Christians aren't confident in sharing their faith. Most Christians aren't confident to declare the goodness of God to the unbelievers. We also see it in a lack of prayer. Right? I don't know about you, but sometimes my, oh, sorry, my, my, my answer to things is work harder, do more. I don't know what's going on here. Forgive me. God wanted to say I'm doing all right. But no, uh, but, but I don't know what happened uh, with, 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 uh, with, with prayer. We forget that prayer actually does something. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard for me to pray. I trust my actions. I trust my ability to persuade. I trust my ability to guilt and shame much more than I trust the prayer. How many of y'all want to change someone and you try to do it by guilt and shaming? Let's talk about politics. Let's talk about race. And I bet you one of the early things we do is we guilt and shame. But God has come in Jesus. and He has spoken and he is speaking. And when we begin to see the purpose of Jesus and we begin to see the work of Jesus in us individually, in us as the church, it ought to give us a boldness to proclaim Jesus outside the church. And it ought to give us a renewed vigor to pray to Jesus, knowing that when we pray to him, especially according to his will, according to what he came to do, there will be results to his glory. So Jesus came to preach, and he became the preacher message that God has re-entered the scene for his people, that you'll never be exiled again. God is present. God is speaking. And if you respond to him in obedience and faith, there will be a, a deliverance. There will be a salvation that is known through the people of God. And we ought to be a living, moving trailer of the deliverance and salvation and the activity of God and how we live as the people of God. People ought to be able to look at us and see God at work. 
And that means we have to transcend some of this political division, some of this racial division, because the Republican Party isn't sufficient to save, the Democratic Party isn't sufficient to save, but the kingdom of God is the good news that God has come to save. And his salvation, his good news is comprehensive, which we see in our second point. Who did Jesus come to reach? And this is where we really get into it, and and this is where I'm really going to mess with y'all a little bit. uh, He says in verse 16, he says, the spirit, I mean, verse 18, excuse me, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Who did Jesus come to reach? We see these terms. We see the poor. We see the brokenhearted. We see the captives. We see the blind. We see the oppressed. We see those in need of God's favor. You see those different things, and and this text and this use of the poor is intentional to Jesus, and obviously he's quoting uh, Isaiah 61, and this begs the question, who is the poor? And this even begs the question that there are a lot of people that read this text and say, poverty, he's talking about the poor, he's talking about is speaking to a sociopolitical salvation. You ever heard some of this message before? A sociopolitical salvation, the, the, the mission of the church based on this text in Jesus is to relieve, uh, alleviate the suffering of the poor and imprisoned. Because the poor are oppressed because of broken systems. There are some scholars that argue that way. Y'all heard that before? And I know most of y'all don't believe that. And then some view it as spiritual. They say, in this case, the poor, the blind, the oppressed are people who are so because of sin. And so it's salvation that is in the mind of Jesus, not sociopolitical activity. Are y'all following me? Those are the two major opinions. And here's the reality Salvation is spiritual, but it has sociopolitical implications. It's, it's, it's more than just the alleviation of poverty, but it's not less than spiritual wealth through the knowledge of God. Are y'all following me? Because it's the good news of the kingdom. And we know from the text that Jesus is speaking comprehensively from looking at this, this, this term poor. And, and, and we know, uh, uh, we, we know that, that theoretically one can um, lead someone to salvation but economically oppress or enslave them, right? Historically, one justification used for slavery by some uh, was that, well, we brought them into the salvation of God. And so though slavery isn't ideal, because these uh, people now know about God, uh, it's a good thing. Y'all ever heard that? And there was a doctrine accompanied with this, especially in the the Reformed, the Southern Presbyterian tradition from which the PCA uh, ascends called the spirituality of the church. And it said the church function is primarily spiritual. And so because the church is spiritual, we can't speak against slavery. We just speak to salvation. And, 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 And that gospel is not robust. It's not comprehensive enough. But neither is the liberal gospel. Of we just want 
take care of the poor. Because we can feed the poor. We can, we, can, we, can, we can do community development. We can boost the economy. But yet people don't know Jesus and they face eternal damnation. And so we need something comprehensive. We need a gospel that frees people spiritually, but, but that meets people where they are. That meets people where they are in, in the oppression, in the downcast, in, in cycles of generational poverty, in addiction. We need a robust, comprehensive gospel that can speak to even the ugliest situations of humanity. And Jesus says, I've come for those. Are y'all following me? You can be spiritually poor and you can be material poor and you're not saved just because you're materially poor. These identity politics, sometimes we think just because one is oppressed or poor that that automatically makes them righteous. And there's no righteousness outside of that which is received through faith in Jesus. But also, just because one has material wealth, sometimes we think they are blessed, but sometimes material wealth can make it harder for you to walk in trust and obedience to the Savior. Amen? When Helping Hurts, uh, written by Brian Fickert, who had the opportunity of pastoring for a while, and Steve Corbett, it defines poverty this way. It says, poverty is rooted in broken relationships. So the solution to poverty is rooted in the power of Jesus' death and resurrection to put all things into right relationship again. There is a real spiritual poverty and there is a real material poverty. And the gospel is comprehensive enough to speak to both. Amen? And we see this in the text because when Jesus begins to talk about these good things, they like it. You see that? You ever see that in the sermon? He says, man, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because, man, we've come to, to preach the gospel to the poor. We've come to set the captives free. And everyone's like, yeah, man, these are some gracious good words. Man, I can't believe this is Joseph's son, but this is a good sermon. Are you following me? But we know that. They don't understand what Jesus is saying because when he explains it further, they try to kill him. Here's the reality. You don't have to be material poor to be saved, but you have to acknowledge your spiritual poverty to be saved by Jesus. And we have to get on these identity things where you notice in how we talk politically it's always about who is oppressed. Conservatives, we oppress for believing in absolute truth. Those who preach tolerance are the least intolerant of absolute truth and morality. And other ones saying we are oppressed, here we go, by white evangelical marriage to white supremacy. Y'all heard some of this rhetoric before? There's a fight to define who is the oppressed because the oppressed is the more righteous before the sight of God. And we see this happening even in the text. These, remember, Jesus is speaking to a poor people, the, poor, the poorest of the poor Jews, and they see themselves as we are in captivity to Rome, but we are God's chosen people. We, not, we may not be perfect, but we try to do right. We are in synagogue. We, we memorize the Old Testament. We, we worship in the temple. We may even give alms to the poor. And so they love it at first because what they hear when Jesus is preaching is that I'm the poor and, and Jesus and God is going to save us from Roman oppression because we are the righteous ones. Y'all see that? 
Rome is the blind. Rome is the brokenhearted. We are the oppressed. And Jesus says, no, you are the oppressor. And you are no more righteous than Rome. Isn't that amazing? You have to see yourself as spiritually poor. And what that means is no matter how good your religion is, no matter how faithful you are to serving in church, to serving um, in nonprofit work, no matter how much you pray or read your Bible, no matter how much you give, that it, that in and of itself isn't sufficient to earn salvation. You are poor because your relationship with God is broken no matter how much good you do. And the only way to receive the good news of salvation, of deliverance, of liberation is as a gift. It's not something you can earn. And most of us, I don't know if you're like me, I'm proud and I want to be able to say I earned it. I pulled up my own bootstraps and I made it happen. And everyone who's successful, most people who are successful, they feel like part of their success is because of them. Right? And everyone who's unsuccessful, just raise some kids, it's never their fault. Right? It's the man, whoever the man is. It's the devil. Remember Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it? But you have to come face to face with your poverty if you're going to hear the good news of Jesus' proclamation. Because we are all much more poor, especially spiritually, than we think. And the message of Jesus confronts our poverty because we're not as good. We're not as fair. We're not as sound logically as we think we are. And here's the danger. The Israelites felt entitled because they had the right religion. They felt entitled to God's blessing. And when you're oppressed... For generations, the last thing you want to hear is that you don't have more righteousness than the oppressor. Because the one thing you hold on to is, yes, we're oppressed. Yes, we may not have as much privilege. But because we are oppressed, we are the righteous. Right? You want to make someone mad, tell a minority that they are just as evil as the oppressor. Woo, get mad. I, I debate some of those guys. I don't know if you ever dealt with Hebrew Israelites or the nation of Islam. They don't like me. <laughs> but here's the danger. There's a danger in kind of seeing ourselves as spiritual middle class. We feel like I'm not perfect, but I'm better than most. I'm no saint, but I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good gal. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And when we think that way, what happens is the gospel never speaks to our poverty. Because we're in such a case of denial, we can't see that Jesus wants to give grace where we are poor. But we're denying our poverty so the grace of God doesn't hit there. And we have major blind spots. There's a danger in seeing ourselves as spiritual middle class. And we see this phenomenon in the church even. The church in America is a middle class organization. If I really took a survey of most churches, especially PCA churches, not only is there some lack of ethnic or racial diversity, there's a lack of socioeconomic diversity. 
It's a middle-class thing. Don't you see few rich people go to church? Bible-believing churches and few poor people go. And look, I'm not, don't hear me as bashing white people because I grew up um, at, on, on, on New Bethel Missionary Baptist Church on Knife and Tamarin, and that was a middle-class church. We were in the hood because the church was built during segregation, and so black, rich, poor, and middle-class all lived in the hood, but who worshiped there were middle-class and up. When you see, there were very few poor people in that church. You saw Benzes, you saw Lexuses, you saw Beamers in the parking lot. There is this middle class thing of the gospel that we've done. And if we're not careful, that it could cause us to miss or reject the full message of Jesus. Why is that? This is one thing I learned. I came in love with theology when I became reformed and went to seminary. And I love songs, hymns that have rich theology. And as, as a pastor, I get very... The thing I most get complaints about is worship. And I had an awakening one day. I loved it. So we incorporated rich theological songs. We incorporated rich liturgy, confessions, and prayers. And, and I remember one thing that happened. One, uh, a couple guys who we were engaging in the neighborhood through a work program, uh, they came to church and they said, well, you know, everyone's nice. It was good being there. But I didn't understand most of what was going on. Why? Because I can't read. Now, people who can't read rarely will say they can't read. They'll say it's a vision thing because it's embarrassing. I got family members, a couple that still can't read. Sometimes we could get caught, so caught up in our preference, our distinctions, that we can cause the materially poor and the spiritual poor to miss the gospel. The material poor, because we're so into our theology, we're so into trying to seem intellectual, in, in our context, it's an idle thing, and guys aren't as smart as they be. Everybody want to be Tim Keller. Uh, West Palm is not Manhattan. Uh, most of what we pass as intellectual in the Reformed world is this kind of southern little thing, cultural, much more than it is intellectual. And I say that as an outsider. I'm like, they think this is smart. And, and not that they're dumb, but it's just so cultural more than anything. Even our, most of our worship is cultural, not theological. When we argue about things, it's about culture, not theology. Right? Biblical culture, worship was much more expressive than us. It was more like the shouting in the black church that'll make y'all look like, am I safe? <laughs> it was very emotive. But anyway, um, read the Psalms. It was shouting. But, 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 but a lot of times we could be rebelling through our obedience. And these people said, God is entitled to bless me. And when you say those outsiders are going to be blessed more than me, a lot of us harbor anger towards God. And I, I emphasize this the economic, but also the spiritual. Truly broken people, we don't want to mess with. You know what I'm talking about? There's some people, I'm not just talking about the ones who beg for money. There is real brokenness that we as a church aren't even thinking about being ready to equip. I'm convicted again. I had two guys call me this week. One guy who used to come, he's homeless and he needs a job. I'm, I'm trying to find a place for him to stay in a job. And you know what? Why wasn't I proactive in getting that before? Right? You, you hear me? You know, that's what the office of deacon was, was for. The original Southern Presbyterian, uh, even man, uh, Book of Church Order said it's the, it's the steward, the, 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 the grace of liberality in the body, in the church. So the deacons exist to make you liberals. And to make you liberals. Y'all get it politically? I'm messing with y'all. It was a joke. <laughs> 
but to make you generous? Do we have things in place so that if a person comes in and needs housing and needs food and, and needs employment, do we have ways in place we can even point them to now so that the gospel they hear could be good news, so that they hear the truth about the spiritual salvation, but we also direct them towards a better life socioeconomically because poverty can hinder your obedience to obey God, right? I know some guys, and, and one of my friends, he's a believer now, but he's a felon, just got the right to vote. Why? Because he grew up poor, and he saw his mom crying, and they were about to be evicted one day, and he decided to do something. They decided to try to rob a convenience store. And look, he's responsible. Nobody's denying his responsibility, but that's affecting the rest of his life because now he's a convicted felon. He got shot and survived, but he's changed his life. But Jesus came, especially for the spiritually and socioeconomically broken. Are we prepared to handle them should they come? We're not. I, I dealt with something, even one of the craziest things I dealt with was um, someone wanting to volunteer in our youth ministry, and he was on the sex offender list. You know, we do the background check, and he got mad, and we were saying, hey, this is the law, brother. But how, he decided to leave, but how would I have discipled him if he decided to stay? I, I hadn't put much thought into that. You get what I'm saying? Jesus comes to the broken, and we are poor. We are broken, and we do not put God in our debt through our worship and obedience, but he willingly gives us grace upon grace. He starts proclaiming grace before he even evaluates their life, and if we could humble ourselves, acknowledge our spiritual poverty so that we receive and relish in grace, one thing it'll do is it'll make us generous people. It'll make us generous people, generous with our time, generous with our gift and talents, and generous with our money. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to stop here, but 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9, this is what Paul says. He says, and he's writing to a church, encouraging them to give to relieve the poor Christians in Jerusalem. He says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought by affliction, their abundant joy, so you have a poor church helping another poor church, their abundant joy and extreme poverty overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord. They gave beyond what was reasonable. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints and not just as we hope. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. Now look at this, verse 7. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel in this act of grace, of generosity. I'm not saying this as a command Rather, by means of diligence of others. I'm not, I'm not guilting or shaming you into it. I'm not pressuring you into it. But I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. You want to receive the richness of Christ. 
Come face to face with your poverty, and Christ will enrich you. He became poor. Look at what they said at the great preaching. The one thing they couldn't get over, this is Joseph's son. <laughs> you see that? This is Joseph's son. This, this boy from the hood. We're not even sure Joseph his real daddy. And then lastly, we see how do we spread the good news. I go back to this statement. He said, they said this is Joseph's son. He had to embrace poverty. Jesus could have came into earth as a king. He could have been the son, the relative of Julius Caesar. He could have been wealthy, but he came to a poor family. But he was willing to become poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. To truly love someone to truly bring good to those who are spiritually or even materially poor means sometimes we have to sacrificially choose to lay aside some of our wealth. <clears throat> How many of you know as parents, sometimes you just got to allow your kids to think you're wrong? Sometimes you just got to bite your tongue with kids because if you say it too much, they'll do the opposite. I'm learning with my nephew. I tell him to do what I don't want him to do. And then he does the opposite and he ends up doing what I want to do, want him to do. <clears throat> but to honor Jesus, you got to receive him as who he really is. And you know what? Familiarity sometimes breeds contempt. I said, this is just a poor little kid from a little raggedy family, from a carpenter. He, his dad's our handyman. Right? Are we receiving Jesus for who he is? And are we allowing ourselves, are we willing to allow ourselves to know religious poverty, to be wrong, to humble ourselves, to deny ourselves so that others can become rich? We got to be willing to be spiritually and actually poor for the cause of Jesus. But when we do that, we gain much more than we think we lose. Amen? And this is really to deal with cancel culture. You know how we just cancel everyone? And I was talking to a guy, and he was saying, I, I really wish something would happen. I said, well, why don't you say it? He said, I don't want to be canceled. And here's the reality. I don't know about This is true of me, too. Sometimes I don't want to be canceled. There's certain things I could say that are true, that I, sometimes I'm afraid, hey, I might get canceled as a black man if I say this. But we have to be willing to be canceled with man so that we can be embraced by God. And we as Christians shouldn't be into that cancel culture thing anyway. So let's stop moralizing our social standing. Let's stop feeling superior to people in need. People don't need us to be their savior. Jesus does that. But they do need someone to be persistent in loving them. They knew, do need someone to, who's willing to forgive them time and time again, even when they don't deserve the forgiveness, even when they don't ask for forgiveness. And they do need someone to say, I will sacrifice my wealth, my time, my comfort, so that you can walk in the fullness of the good news that we have a king
and a kingdom that, pro- that unilaterally blesses all, in all forms of poverty. This text ends with he saying that he was anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Y'all hear that? And remember in the Old Testament when Israel was a, a, a nation, there was this concept called the year of Jubilee. That at the, every 50 years, all debts would be canceled. All land, because land was one of the primary means of currency, that was sold or given went back to the original tribe and clan. And so essentially, once in the average lifetime, you had a whole new start in life. What Jesus is saying is he has the authority to those who hear him and believe in him that you have a whole new start. How many of you wouldn't mind a whole fresh start again? How many of you ever thought if I could go back to when I was 18... I wouldn't have did that. Some of y'all been like, if I could go back, I wouldn't have married him or her. But, but anyway, I'm messing with y'all. But the year of the Lord's favor. Because of Jesus' poverty, every time we believe, every time we repent, every time we look to Jesus, we get a new start in the favor of God. And that doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be materially rich. But this is what it does mean. You'll never go without God. You'll never be a moment where you can't access the touch of your heavenly father. Jesus was forsaken on the cross saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we never, even if God may punish us, even if God may give us a spanking, we'll never be forsaken. And if you have a relationship with God that can never be broken, that you can't sin big enough to allow him to turn his back from you, you have the greatest wealth in creation. And when you walk in the knowledge of having great wealth, you become radically generous because you know if I have everything I need in God, I don't have to hold on to this but I can open and give it away because there is more in him. Will you bow your heads to pray with me? Father God, we thank you now. We do pray, Father, that we be people of good news, that those who are spiritually poor, those who are material poor may look at us, and as we more and more walk into the spiritual wealth provided to us in Christ, that Paul says we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. That as we are aware and walk in that wealth, we may give it away freely. We may proclaim it boldly, and people may hear and receive. Father, we want to see people who are not walking with you, who don't believe in you, who resist you, come to receive you. We want to see people baptized as adults for the first time and as kids. Father, we do want to see generational poverty broken in areas and lives transformed for the sake of your glory. Father, open our eyes to the good news of the gospel. Open our eyes to the spiritual wealth available to us in Christ so that we may proclaim boldly and we may give radically for the sake of your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio recording produced by Truthpoint Church. We encourage you to distribute this to as many people as you'd like, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. 
For more information about our ministry or to subscribe to our podcast, please visit our website at www.truthpoint.org.